We're talking about the life of Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, I like how you guys say it with authority. We're talking about Joseph. And as we've been talking about Joseph, we've seen his life be a bit of a roller coaster uh, throughout his life. Have the ups and the downs. We saw his life begin, and it was an up. His life began and things were good. He was a favored son. His father loved him. He was in a wealthy family. And his father loved him so much. But check this out. His brothers despised him because he was so favored by his father. His brothers despised him. They despised him so much that one day they said, you know what? We hate Joseph so much because our father loves him so much. And and he's so favored above us that we are going to kill him. Everybody say, oh, no. We're going to kill him. So one day Joseph was coming to check on them while they were in the field. And they grabbed him and they threw him into a pit in a field and left him there to die. And they're like, all right, we're going to leave him there to die. But rather than leave him there to die, a caravan was going by of traders that were on their way to Egypt, of merchants. And they go, hold on, we could leave him there to die. Or we could pull him out. We could sell him as a slave. And then we could get some money out of him. And then we would actually know that he is in misery working for the rest of his life as a slave building pyramids. This is great. Okay, he'd be in misery and we get some money out of him. Perfect. Okay, so they sell their own brother, their own flesh and blood out of the anger and hatred they have for him in their heart as a slave. So Joseph is sold. He goes into chains to strangers, to a foreign land that speaks a language that he doesn't know. And as he's being sold, he looks over his shoulder at his own brothers, ten brothers. And he looks at them. Imagine the hurt in his heart. Not an enemy that sells him to slavery, but his brothers. Not someone who, who, who is a distant person or a stranger, his brothers are saying, we want nothing to do with you, that we hope you die thousands of miles away with strangers working to death. We want nothing to do with you, and we count our money as you distantly fade into nothing. This is the last time Joseph thought he would see his brothers, and he walks away into the desert. We picked up again with the story. Joseph was sold at a market as a slave, and he was sold in the house of Potiphar, an official in the government of Egypt. And to kind of, again, weave through the story here, here's what happened. He got sold into this house as a lowly servant, but slowly the story got to pick back up again. As Joseph worked hard, he became high in the household of uh, Potiphar, and he became in charge of the household. So first off, things were good. He was favored in his father's household, but then he got sold as a slave. But then he worked his way up in the household to a high position in that household where he was in charge of the entire household. But then he's accused of a crime that he did not commit, of trying to sleep with his master's wife, which he did not do. And because of this, she accuses him of a crime he did not commit. Actually, he tried to do the right thing and say no. So because she tells on him something he did not do, Potiphar gets angry at him and throws him into jail. So for doing the right thing, he now goes from, again, being a good son to being sold as a slave to being in charge of a household to now he is in jail, and he's in jail for 13 years. Everybody go, oh, no. 
Okay, so this is like a roller coaster. This is like a soap opera, okay? It's like, yay, no, yay, no, oh, dear. It's like a, uh, just like, it's like, uh, oh, my goodness. Every, every episode or every chapter is like a season finale and a season, you know, premiere of a show or something like this. So it goes up and down, up and down. Then, after being in the prison for a while, they like him so much because he's such a good worker and nice guy in the prison. They put him in charge of the prison. He's a prisoner, okay? And they give him, like, the keys to the prison. I'm like, hey, you just be in charge of the other prisoners because you're such a great guy. All right, peace. And the guards start to trust him in charge of the prison, okay? And he's a prisoner, okay? They trust him so much. Like, you're such a great guy. Why don't you just be in charge of the other guys? So they, I know, it's hilarious. So they trust him in charge of the other prisoners, and they give him the keys. They're like, hey, you be in charge of making sure everybody gets fed. You be in charge. Hey, sh- you be in charge of making sure everybody is taken care of. Uh, you're in charge of the jail, and so basically, he is in charge of the jail, even though he's still a prisoner. Okay, so while he's in charge of the jail, he interprets the dreams of two guys that are there. One of those guys remembers that he interprets his dream, and several years later, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, the king of Egypt, has a dream. And the man remembers, hey, there was this guy when I was in prison that interpreted my dream. Maybe this guy can help you, Pharaoh. So they drag Joseph out of the jail. They shave him and get him all cleaned up, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. He goes, can you tell me what this dream means? And he goes, I can tell you exactly what that dream means because God has told me the meaning of your dream, Pharaoh. And he tells him what the dream means. He says, Pharaoh, this dream means that very soon a famine is going to come and strike the entire land. And you need to prepare for this famine. Because if you don't, the entire land is going to be destroyed. Prepare for this famine so that your nation will not be destroyed. And Pharaoh is so impressed by the dream because Joseph prepares and guesses what the dream is. And so because of this, Pharaoh goes, you know what? I'm going to promote you. Not only am I going to free you from jail, Joseph, I'm going to promote you and make you the second most powerful man in Egypt, only second in command to me. Everybody go, whoa. Okay, so check out this progression here. This is like a roller coaster, okay? It's kind of like when you're like, you know, at King's Dominion, you're like, click, 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 whoa, and you're going up and down, up and down, and like your stomach drops, whoa, and does anybody else black out on the Dominator when you're like, whoa, and you're like, you know, your eyes kind of get like, no one? Okay, maybe it's just me. Anyway, moving on. So here's the top of the roller coaster, okay? He's at a high here where he is enjoying life, and things are good because he's the favorite son of his father, and life is good. Then he reaches a low point where he's sold as a slave. Then he gets a little bit higher and things are a little bit better because he works his way up in the house of Potiphar. But then he's accused of a crime and put in jail, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Then he works his way up to the top of the jail, even though he's still in jail, but at least he's in charge of the jail. Then he gets put into the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. And this is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Everybody again go, whoa. So this is a roller coaster ride. And over the next... 14 years, Joseph, Joseph would save the entire nation of Egypt. Because what would happen is this. There would be a famine in the land where for seven years, things would be really good. They'd have a lot of food. But then seven years after that, there would be a devastating famine when there was not a lot of food. And the only nation that had food was Egypt because they saved for seven years because God gave a vision to Joseph to know that there was going to be this famine. So because of this revelation that God gave to Joseph, they were able to prepare for this time of disaster. 
It's an amazing, amazing thing where God actually used Joseph being sold into slavery and Joseph interpreting this dream to save the lives of millions of people. And this isn't a sermon I'm preaching today. It's a sermon maybe we didn't have time to preach this year, but I want you to understand something. God can even use the worst situations. God can even take the worst things in the world and draw out of them good things. God is saving millions and millions of lives through the treachery of Joseph's brothers. God is taking a hopeless situation where Joseph is sitting in a pit about to die thinking, God, why me? And God is saying, I have a plan for your life to save a nation. Joseph is sitting in a prison for 13 years saying, God, what are you doing? And he goes, wait, I have a plan. You don't see it yet, but you are going to be the second in command of this world and you don't even see it yet. Trust me, just wait a little bit longer. Sometimes we don't always see God's plan, even when he does. Trust God's plan, even when you don't know God's plan. Trust God's plan, even when you don't know God's plan. But let's jump into our sermon for today. So here's what happens, okay? This is, this is really fun. This is a fun story, okay? So Joseph, okay, has been gone for many, many years, Okay? He's a second in command of Egypt, and he looks totally different than he used to, because he used to have a beard, used to, to look Jewish, but now he has shaved hair, probably shaved head, because the Egyptians had shaved head, and he probably has a little bit of makeup on, because that's how the Egyptians looked, right? Okay, so he's dressed in Egyptian clothing, he's speaking Egyptian, okay, and he would sit as the second in command of Egypt, right? Okay, and people would come from faraway lands, and they would ask for food, because everybody else is out of food, and only Egypt has food. So... Joseph would sit there and be like, look, we have food. We're going to give to you. Just pay us some money, and we'll give you some food. And they'd be like, great. So Joseph is literally saving lives every day. It's really cool. So one day, one day while Joseph is receiving people from a faraway land, a guard comes in and goes, hey, we have these people from a faraway land. It's a bunch of brothers. They're coming in here to receive some food. They say they're starving. Um, do you have time to meet with them? And Joseph's like, yeah, bring them in. So in walk these brothers from a faraway land, begging for food, and they walk in, and they bow low before Joseph. And again, remember, Joseph is speaking a different language. He has makeup on, okay, and he's speaking Egyptian, okay? So they walk in, they bow down low, and they go, Sir, please, we come from a distant land. We're starving to death. Our family is back there, and we have no other way. Will you please give us some food? If you don't, we will surely die. We're just humble brothers from a faraway land. And Joseph looks at them and realizes something. These are his very brothers that threw him into a pit, that left him there to die, and then go, you know what? No, I'm going to pull you out of the pit, sell you as a slave, and send you off to die. These are the same brothers that wanted to kill him and sold him as a slave. And here is his moment to do the very thing that he's probably dreamt about several times. Get Revenge. Now, here's what I want you to do, okay? On three, we're going to do an evil laugh, okay? An evil laugh, okay? So this, this is the part of the movie where somebody realizes, like, I'm about to get even, okay? I'm about to get even with somebody, and you do an evil laugh, okay? So I'm going to count to three, and you guys are going to do an evil laugh, okay? So here we go. One. Now, some people can't do an evil laugh, okay? If you can't do an evil laugh, don't do an actual laugh, because that's not evil, okay? But if you have an evil laugh, this is your moment to shine, okay? So here we go. One. Two, 
three. <laughs> that was scary. Some of you were really good at that, okay? Not as many of you are good at that as I thought, but some of you are really good at that. I remember, pause. So this is Joseph's moment to get even, if you, if you track it with me, okay? He has before him his brothers. They're skinny. They're frail. They're begging for mercy. And they have no idea who it is because they don't recognize him. He's speaking a different language. His face looks different. And they probably think he is dead, okay? So they're begging for forgiveness from the very guy that they tried to kill, that they sold to slavery, okay? And they're begging for mercy. Please, would you save us, sir? And Joseph's over here holding their life in his hands. And notice also what Joseph has. Joseph has at his disposal thousands of guards. Joseph could go, guards, kill them. (laughs) Joseph has at his disposal the entire Egyptian army, okay? He could sit there and think to himself, How do I want to kill them, okay? I could literally kill them by chickens, okay? I could literally tar them, cover them in chicken seed, and then put them in a pen with thousands of chickens to peck them to death. I could literally kill them in so many ways right now with with paper cuts. Yes, I could kill them with paper cuts, okay? I could kill them by taping their eyes open and playing Frozen a thousand times. I could kill them in so many ways. Joseph has them at his mercy. Or he could literally kill them by this. He could say to them, no. You want food. You're begging for my help. And all I'm going to do is just say no. I'm going to kill you by just not helping you. By just turning the other way. I don't even have to lift a finger to kill you. All I have to do is just actively not help you. Just turn away and let you die of starvation. Because you threw me into a pit. Because you allowed me to be chained up, dragged across a desert, sold at an auction to the highest bidder, accused of crimes I did not commit, thrown into a prison for 13 years where it was cold, where I knew what hunger was, where I knew what loneliness was, where I knew what it was to be a stranger in a land I did not know, where I knew what it was to be in a place where I didn't know the language, where I was far from my family. And here I am, self-made, no thanks to you. You can now starve to death for your own problems. I made it on my own. You can try and make it on your own. You're getting what you deserve. That's the word, right? Deserve. See, when somebody does us wrong, sometimes we look to them and we like to say, I hope you get what you deserve. I hope you get what's fair. You hurt me, so you deserve to be hurt. That's equal. That that seems right in the eyes of me. Justice. Right? That's, that's what we want. We want justice. You hurt me, I hurt you. You cause me pain, I cause you pain. Or at least we want them to feel the same way we felt. So here Joseph has them in this place of pain. Joseph has them, them in this place where anything can happen to them. And if you want to read the full story, because there's a lot that happens, you can read the full chapters here and I I encourage you to read it all it's very interesting it starts here when he first meets his brothers 
um, in verse 40, in chapter 42, you can read all of it. Joseph does this long thing where when he first meets his brothers, he wants to make sure that they did not kill his younger brother. Joseph had a younger brother that was born uh, named Benjamin. They want to make sure, or Joseph wants to make sure that they did not also kill Benjamin, that they had changed. And he discovers that they did not kill Benjamin as well out of jealousy. And they actually went the extra mile to make sure Benjamin is protected. So if you want to read about that, it's a great story. But just for time's sake, we're going to skip to the end of this story where Joseph realizes in many ways how much his brothers have changed and how sorry they are for what they've done wrong. So let's read here when Joseph reacts and what he does. Verse 1 of chapter 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were so many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And the word of it carried so quickly to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Pause there for a second. The whole time they had been talking up to this point, Joseph had been speaking to them in Egyptian. The whole time that they had been speaking up to this point, Joseph had hidden his identity. He had gone by a different name, and they had not known they were speaking to their own brother. And all of a sudden, Joseph cries out to them, in Hebrew. He cries out to them, not through a translator, but he speaks to them directly, and they recognize his voice. And he begins to weep and to break before them, and he says, I am Joseph. And they hear his voice, and they recognize him, and they're stunned, and they don't speak a word, probably out of fear, probably out of shock. Let's continue. Verse 4, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that raged in this land for two years will last for five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. Pause there for a second. Joseph would go on. Here's what he would tell them. He'd say, go back to dad. Go back to your families. Bring them. I want you to come and live with me here in Egypt. I will provide you land. I will build you houses. You will want for nothing. I will give you money. I will give you food. And you will be taken care of, brothers. I will provide for your families fully. You will need for nothing. This is literally the exact opposite of what the brothers deserve. Okay? If the brothers got what was fair, if the brothers got what they deserved, okay, it would be thrown into a pit or thrown into jail 
or it would be death. That's what they deserve, right? That's what's fair, right? Because that's what they did to Joseph. But Joseph literally does the opposite of that. Joseph says, look, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you where you cursed me. I'm going to give you life where you tried to kill me. I'm going to feed you where you left me hungry. And I'm going to forgive you of the things that you did wrong to me. I love you, brothers. And where you did me wrong, I forgive you. Forgiveness is hard to look at someone who did you wrong and to say, what you did wrong, I forgive you. And I want us today to talk a little bit about what is forgiveness and how do we forgive. What is forgiveness and how do we forgive? Now, I'll tell you this. Forgiveness is not a fun thing because forgiveness is hard. Okay, forgiveness is hard because it means that somebody hurt us. And our natural tendency, our almost natural response sometimes is to want to hurt them back because we think it will make us feel better, but that's not the truth. Actually, revenge only ends up hurting ourselves in the end. So let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. Let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. What does it look like? Well, forgiveness has no limit. Forgiveness has no limit, okay? When you forgive someone for doing something wrong to you, because let me tell you something, friends. Somebody will do something wrong to you in your life. Actually, up to this point, I promise you, if you went around this room, and I say, hey, list the things wrong that your siblings have done to you. Just your siblings. And you'd be like, I got a list for you just from this morning, okay? This morning, my sister took a really long shower and took up all the hot water. It would not get out of the bathroom, okay? Check. And then, my little brother ate all of the Fruit Loops, okay? It was a brand new box. He spilled half of them on the floor. Check. And you can literally list to me the things wrong your siblings have done. Then you can go to your teachers. Oh, my teachers, okay? You just want me to start on an A day or a B day? Because I got plenty of things wrong my teachers have done to me, okay? Check. Okay, and you can go down a list of all the things wrong that people have done to you. And here's the thing. You, you probably don't deserve those things, okay? You've done nothing to deserve what those people have done to you. It's not that you earned those wrongdoings. It's not that you did something to them so they did something wrong to you back. People that maybe bully you, you don't deserve it. It's not like you were a jerk to them. It's like, I'm going to bully you because you were mean to me. No, you're just minding your own business and they're being rude to you. You don't deserve that. Or perhaps somebody that gossips about you or betrays your trust. You don't deserve that. They are just doing it to you. And it's wrong. And I want you to know, people will always let you down in your life. The question is not, will people hurt you? Will people do you wrong? Because they will. I guarantee it. Okay. The question is this, how will we react? How will we respond when people do us wrong? How will you respond? Will your forgiveness have a limit? Will you look at a friend and say, look, okay, dude, um, I don't know how to say this, but you're out. And I'll be like, what? Listen, you're out, okay? I have a little book here, okay? And uh, you are out of forgiveness points, okay? Uh, I have a little tally here, and I have forgiven you uh, 482 times, okay? And uh, you just ran out of forgiveness points. I'm so sorry, okay? Actually, you know what? I'm not sorry. You should be sorry, okay? We are no longer friends. Goodbye, okay? You are literally blocked. Not on uh, Instagram, okay? Not on Snapchat. 
personally, I am blocking you from my life. I literally pretend like I don't see you. Okay, if you talk to me, I'm not going to hear you from now on beginning now. And they're like, but what? And they're like, but I don't understand. And you're just like, huh, oh, the wind is so loud today. You're just literally ignoring them from then on, okay, as if they don't even speak. Okay, or maybe like your little brother, like at some point, they, they, they keep irritating you, keep irritating you, like, I'm sorry, you are no longer my little brother. Goodbye, okay? You are now just the neighbor that lives in my house, okay? That's who you are to me now because I cannot forgive you anymore for eating all the Fruit Loops because you've done this too many times, okay? But here's the deal. Forgiveness has no limit, okay? You must continue to forgive. The Bible has a moment, one of the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? And Jesus goes, 70 times 7. Now, that does not mean that you should forgive somebody 490 times, okay? Jesus was not giving a number. Jesus was actually saying, look, here's a huge number, okay? You should forgive someone always, always forgive someone without limit. Forgiveness also has no memory, okay? You shouldn't forgive someone and then bring it up in a moment of argument, okay? You shouldn't forgive someone and bring it up in a moment. So, ladies, like, if you forgive a girlfriend, like, maybe, like, you forgive her for, let's say, like, she gossips about you and she goes, hey, I'm really sorry, and you're like, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. (laughs) No, really, I forgive you. Can you believe Susan over there? She's the worst. Like, you can't do that, okay? That's not forgiveness, okay? And then you wait 12 years later, okay? And it's like their 25th birthday, all right? And they accidentally, like, bump into you and, like, you know, maybe, like, you drop, like, a platter of Cheetos on the ground. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I bumped into you and dropped your Cheetos. And they go, well, I'm so sorry that you're the worst and you gossiped about me 18 years ago. And they're like... Are you serious? You remember that? Oh, I remember that. You're the worst. It's like, whoa, hey, that's not forgiveness. If you're still holding on to that and not forgiving them for something they did 18 years ago, okay? You got to let that go, okay? Let it go. Let it go. You can't hold it. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, oh no. That's not a Christmas song, okay? It's not a Christmas song. Forgiveness has no memory, though. You can't hold on to those things. You do need to release those and move past them because all you're doing when you harbor and hold on to something when someone has hurt you is you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. So release those things. But I I want you to ultimately realize this. The reason that we should forgive is because we were forgiven. We were forgiven. I want you to understand something. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus was God's son who came to earth. He was perfect. And Jesus has done nothing wrong to you, ever. Jesus lived a perfect life, hurt no one, said nothing wrong to anyone, gossiped about no one, caused no one pain, and check this out, still, he was gossiped about, betrayed by a best friend, slandered, mocked, he was physically beaten, tried in court for a crime he did not commit, he was executed, nailed to a cross, mocked openly, And as he was being executed and dying on that cross, 
he looked at his murderers, the people killing him, the people spitting in his face, the people ending his life, and with his last breath, gasping on that cross, pushing himself up for breath, he spoke these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He did not speak and say, Father, destroy them. Father, give them what they have coming. Father, I did nothing wrong. I don't deserve this. Father, remember what they've done wrong. No, he said, Father, these people, please forgive them. Please don't remember their sin. Please see what they've done no more and forgive it. God looks at you. Jesus looks at you. And he says, listen, child, you have done me wrong. But my forgiveness to you has no limit. You can sin and mess up. And I'm not in heaven keeping a little scoreboard and going, oh, you know what? You sinned too many times. I'm sorry I'm no longer your God. I'm sorry I don't love you anymore. I'm sorry you're not a Christian anymore because you sinned too many times. I was keeping track, okay, and counting all your sins, and that was too many. You're done. Goodbye. That's not how God operates. He loves you and He forgives you. And His forgiveness has no limit. God keeps no record of your wrongs. His forgiveness has no memory. Jesus says this, I keep your sins distant as far as the east is from the west. I have cast out your sins from my memory. I don't even remember them purposefully. I've thrown them out of my mind. The times in your past that you have sinned, I throw them out of my mind. I don't harbor them against you. The time you sinned a year ago, I don't think about that and hold it against you when you're singing in church. The time you sinned five minutes ago, I don't think about that and dwell against you. He isn't angry with you, brooding with anger. He loves you and has forgiven you. That's the God who loves and has forgiven. It doesn't have a limit. It doesn't have a memory. He looks at you with compassion. But here's the thing. He also looks at you and says this. The same way that I forgive you, I also challenge you to forgive other people. If Jesus can look at you and hang on a cross and say, I forgive you. I bled for you. I died for you. How much more so can we forgive people that slander us, that lie to us, that are rude to us, that maybe irritate us? Now I know that people have injured us in serious ways and will injure us in serious ways, painful ways. People will cause us pain that will leave us scarred and hurting for the rest of our lives. Some have already happened and some will happen. And we will carry those. And sometimes forgiveness is a choice we just have to make. We don't feel like forgiving. It's not like I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I feel like forgiving you and just giving you a big hug. It's no, no, it's more like this. It's like I actually am really, really angry at you. And I, I, I struggle with this. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember that Jesus, he loves me. And he died for me. Even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to ask Jesus to help me forgive. There's a story of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She was in a German concentration camp. She was a, a Jew many years ago. And she had done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Merely because she was a Jew. She was put into a camp at a young age, tattooed on her arm, and suffered for many years. Her entire family would die in those concentration camps. 
And she suffered day in and day out because of the oppression of the Nazi Germans. And after the war, she spoke about forgiveness, forgiving the Germans, forgiving the Nazis for what they had done to so many people, and specifically to her and to the Jewish people. And one day, just a few years after the war was over, she was speaking in a church about forgiveness. And after giving this speech, a man came down the aisle of the small church. And as he was walking down, she recognized him immediately. He was a German guard in the prison that she had been kept in. And she recognized him because of how cruel he had been. She had been in prison with her sister. It was her and her sister and many others. And her sister had died in that prison. And she knew this man because of how cruel he had been. There were many guards, but this one she remembered because of how cruel he was. And he came down the aisle crying. And he said, I heard your words. I've actually become a Christian. And I, I just wanted to ask if you would forgive me for what I have done wrong. This man had beaten people. This man had imprisoned her. This man had done horrible things. And she said this, she said, I did not want to or feel like forgiving him in that moment. But she said, I prayed and said, Jesus, you forgave me, a sinner, help me. And she said, in that moment, the Holy Spirit, God, helped me to put out my arm. And he healed my heart to forgive. And she said, I put out my arm. And I said, I forgive you. She said, it was not by my own strength, but by the strength of God that I offered forgiveness because I had been forgiven by Jesus. And I had no right to deny him forgiveness. And that day she forgave that man. We need to be willing to forgive people for little things and for big things because we were forgiven by Jesus. Because he looked at you and said, I offer you forgiveness for your sins. Not because you earn it. Not because you deserve it. But because of my love. But because I care for you. Recognize this. And it will help us to forgive people. Not because they deserve it. Not because it's fair. But because of what Jesus did for us. Remember, forgiveness doesn't have a limit on it. It doesn't keep a memory. But we should forgive as we were forgiven, and we were forgiven perfectly, holistically. Remember what Jesus has done for us and allow that to motivate us, to push us forward and to drive us to forgive others, even when they do things wrong to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for forgiving us. We worship you today, every day, and we give you praise. It's the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.